seven markers of a praying church. You got to know this. You got to have this on the wall, your brain wall. Number one, a praying pastor. You can't get anywhere unless you're a praying pastor. And around him, prayer leaders. Four groups in your church have to change. You've got to have prayer leaders. Your staff has to buy into the transformation of the church from a house of preaching and praise and programs to a house of prayer. Your praise team is going to have to give up some things because right now, when we think about praise and worship, we think about music. That is far too narrow a, a, a funnel for true worship with all of its breadth to be funneled through. But our churches have 35-minute sets of worship. It's just, and, and by the time you get through that, you're too tired to listen to a message. You're on your feet. Happy, get up, happy, put your hands together for Jesus. Glory to God. Don't you realize you're supposed to be smiling? Where is lament in the church? Where's brokenness in the church? Where's mourning in the church? Where's weeping in this? It's not allowed. We have a celebration narrative that squeezed all that out. So we lack breadth and diversity. There's no place for the word. There's no place for the pastoral prayer. There's no place for the church to pause and get on their knees before a holy God. Because we don't have an altar response like we used to have to the word of God that's prolonged. So we've squeezed prayer out. So I think we're looking at a whole new Pentecostal liturgy, if you will allow me to use that word, that we need to, 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 to consider for worship. So you've got to have a buy-in from your praise team. And then you got to have a buy-in from the elders. So four groups have to embrace this. Number two, marker for prayer. At home, daily, transformational prayer. Then number three, pervasive prayer at church out of a regular prayer meeting. Now you might change this up. It might be one night, I'm just asking the men to come tomorrow night. I'm just asking the women to come tomorrow night. I'm asking couples to come. Anybody can come, but we're going to pray particularly. You may have a night when you do family prayer. Every family brings a blanket. You go to the gym. Every family spreads out the blanket, and every family sits down on that blanket. You bring toys for the kids, the toddlers included. And you lead prayer, and then the father or mother leads prayer with that family. Then you come back, and you lead another segment, and then the father leads prayer with that family. What are you doing? You're teaching the father and mother to pray with their children. And and you, and you and if the toddlers are running around, who cares? Who cares? Because they've not been in a setting where they've seen moms and dads pray together like that. So you, you may have a time when you put slides up, and you have seven different places in the city two of which just had a shooting. And you have teams that go out there, they call in, they they pray on spot, you put that slide up on the screen and you are praying. Nobody wants to go out there, but we send the people out there that are uh, exposable. You know, the kind of people in the church that are exposable. Y'all go out to where the shooting took place and, 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 and you pray from there and we'll put you on the microphone. I'm kidding. And, uh, and, I mean, you just shake this up. You do different kinds of prayer. Don't get in a rut. Do different creative ways to, uh, uh, way, ways to pray. These are the beginning points. Praying pastor, prayer leaders, that's a year. At home daily, transformational prayer, pervasive prayer out of a, out of a prayer meeting. Then you want to identify, train, direct, and debrief your intercessors. These are the watchers on the wall. You know who your givers are. You know who your troublemakers are.
But you don't know who your intercessors are. You've never identified them. You've never identified them. So you don't direct them. Here's what I need you to pray for. You don't team them in teams of three to five. Not that they get together to pray, but that they pray in agreement with one another. You don't debrief them. So what is God saying to you in the night watch of, of, what, you, of what, what happened this last month? What's the most uh, interesting thing? Well, I had a vision. I had a vision. Uh, this really happened. I had, I, had a, I had a vision that a child molester had broken into our child uh, care facility and, uh, and, and was exploiting the kids. And we were front page on the newspaper. And then another intercessor said, another intercessor said, I, 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 I had, I had a vision that there's a problem with our nursery. I, I, and another one said, you know, I've just had a real concern for, for our nursery. Three, three, three different places. That pastor said, whoa, wait a minute. He trusted these intercessors. He didn't take it as wild hunches. They put up, they put up, uh, surveillance cameras. They, they went through training. They did background checks on everybody working in the nursery. This is a huge church. They, they developed new protocols. Nobody takes a child to the bathroom by themselves. Nobody. Nobody. And, and, the, and so, so it's not just what happened. It's what did not happen because we got a warning from the watchers on the wall. But right now, there's no connection between the watchers on the wall, intercessors, and the elders at the gate, your pastoral staff. And so the pastors are not directing the intercessors, would you pray about this confidentially without giving you names? And the intercessors are not getting back to the pastors. What will happen is you begin to, to, to do uh, debriefing reports from intercessors is you'll get hunches from an intercessor and a hunch from an intercessor and a hunch from an intercessor. And like the old transparencies, you'll put them one on top of another and a picture will begin to form. At least a picture will begin to form so that you go back and you say, this month, among all the things that we're asking you to pray about, we're asking you to pray specifically about the young people of our church. And these intercessors, God reveals secrets to intercessors. Now, if you're a pastor, you say, well, I'm the pastor of God. God wants to do anything. He'll reveal it to me. No, no, no. That's not the way the body works. The body works because this part gets this, and this part gets this, and this part gets this. And God is wanting you as a pastor to be dependent upon them. But you have to have a trusted circle. Here's what pastors are afraid of. They're afraid of empowering intercessors. And so I'm afraid if I listen to him, if you get an intercessor that starts directing you, they're out of order. If you get an intercessor, so you have to stay in, in, in bounds with your gift. If you've got a calling to be an intercessor, you don't have a calling to be an elder at the gate. So you do not have a right to direct the church. You only have a right to hand off your night watchman report. And then you have to trust the elders to do with that night watch report what they feel is best. And that might be to pitch it back to a larger group of intercessors and say some of our intercessors in the last few days or weeks have had this growing concern, and this is confidential, if you have intercessors that can't be confidential, then you have to, like, you can't, you can't put them in the trusted circle. You can't put them in the trusted circle. You've got to test them. You've got to test them. Some of our intercessors in the last few weeks have had this growing concern for our youth group. And, and, and so we're asking all of you just to pay special attention when you pray. 
to anything God might whisper to you about, about the young people in our church, or even the young people in our community. And then you come back, and what happens is this is clearer or clearer, or it goes away. If you get an intercessor that reports polka dot demons showing up behind the pulpit every Sunday when you preach, you thank them for that because you really want to know if there are polka dot demons showing up behind you when you preach. That's really an important thing. And you say to them, hey, look, let me, let me just put this out to all the intercessors and see if we get some confirmation on this. And you get, don't, you, you don't get confirmation. You go back to them and say, hey, I'm sorry. Uh, others not seeing the polka dot demon. I'm glad you are. God bless you. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, you, you, don't, you don't, don't, don't jump off the bridge because of what something, some intercessor says because of some, something exotic. Intercessors do have exotic encounters with God, but it's confirmed in the mouth of, yeah, that, that, okay. So you want to identify, you want to train, you want to direct, you want to debrief. Your, uh, your intercessors, about 5% of your, your, your church is intercessor. Then you want an external missional focus. You need a mission feel near and a mission feel far. Every church here, listen, you need to go home and say, our mission field is one mile around our church. Our mission field is five miles around our church. Then you need to find out what's in it. We've got three trailer courts. Looks like single mothers live there. Uh, we've got, uh, uh, meet with the police. We got drugs going on here and here and here. We had a murder here two years ago. Uh, we, we've got, we've got a, we got a, a high crime, lot of visitations by the police in the middle of the night of this apartment unit with 200 people in. This is your mission field. This is your mission field. You need a mission field near and you need a mission field far. You need to adopt Kenya. That's our mission field. You need to adopt. Where's the brother that was here last night who stopped me going out? He said that he's got somebody who was in China, he had to leave China, and he's now trying to get a dialectic of prayer between China, a province in China, and Oklahoma. So, so what you adopt, you adopt Ben West, so you adopt a mission field for prayer. Nations will be joined to the Lord, so we want to adopt this for, uh, for prayer, but you need a mission field near. You need an external missional focus for prayer evangelism. About 5% of the people in your church have a, an evangelist gift. Not pulpit evangelism, but a capacity and calling to do personal evangelism. Here's what you've not done. You've not, you've not identified them. You've not identified them. And what you want to do is partner intercessors with people who have a calling to win other people to Christ. Now, who do you want to intercede? Everybody. Who do you want to win souls? Everybody, but these people with white hot hearts to pray and white hot hearts to win the lost. They're the spark plugs for the whole church. And when you begin to identify them and you partner prayer and mission, Paul said, now pray to the Colossian church that a door might be open for me to preach the gospel. Well, do your own praying, Paul. No, no, no. No, no, but he's the evangelist. But he needs the intercessory community to partner with him to pray that door open. You partner intercession and, and evangelism. These are the four dimensions. These are the three beginning points. Praying pastor, at home, pervasive prayer. These are the four dimensions. At home, at church, intercession, evangelism. You got it? You got to know this. This is the structure, the ideological structure 
for becoming a praying church. And then you need ongoing training. You never stop training in prayer. And then you need physical prayer space. You need a prayer room, a prayer center. I am begging churches next uh, Pentecost Sunday, from Wednesday to Sunday, to open your doors and let people come and pray. Don't have a preacher, just open your doors and let people come and pray. Open them at 6 o'clock in the morning and don't close them until that night. And invite people to come, ask them to fast lunch and come and just sit in the church. Put music on, dim the lights, put needs up on the screen and let people come and pray. I think people want to pray more than we want them to pray. And I think they're interfered with by our doing talking all the time. I think if they would just, they just want to come and get on their face and be in the church. So what happens when you come into the church and three people are there on their face or six people are there scattered all over or people walking the church and you got prayer stations all around the wall or prayer banners all around the wall and people are popping by your church and they're praying for a fresh Pentecost. You want the church to become a house of prayer. The only place I've ever seen this is in a Catholic church. And that was in Guayaquil, Ecuador, and it's absolutely packed and there's no mass and there's no priest in sight. And the people have just come in on their lunch hour to just sit there and just pray and pray and pray. I want the church to be a... Yeah, you get it. All right. So, three kinds of... Three kinds of churches. 95%, certainly 90% of churches are like this. They've got all kinds of church ministries, but prayer is not an organized church ministry. It's not a recognized church ministry. It doesn't have a leader. They pray when there's a crisis, and almost all of their praying is crisis praying. It's prayer requests. 92% of our prayer, according to surveys, is crisis praying. <clears throat> Here's the second kind of church. Well, okay, let me do this. North American survey, are you a crisis prayer? Are you a casual prayer? Are you a committed prayer? Only 8% were committed people with prayer. The average Christian prays five to seven minutes a day, circling the parking lot at Walmart, praying for a spot closer to the door. <clears throat> The average pastor in America prays 25 to 30 minutes, but 89% of his prayer is list praying. It's not, it's not communion. It's not communion with God. And it's often prayer on the run. So here's what happened. We've watched an anti-prayer culture develop in our nation. Prayer is illegal. You can't pray in school. You can't pray here. You can't pray there. Whatever else. This is an anti-prayer culture. But we've also watched a praise and preaching culture develop in our churches with little time for serious prayer, either in the public space of culture or the church, and simultaneously a demise of private, personal, family, and prayer has occurred. We have become prayerless churches and prayerless homes and an anti-prayer and an anti-prayer uh, culture. It's three kinds of churches. Here, here's the first kind of church. It doesn't have an organized prayer ministry. Uh, and that's 90 to 95% of all, uh, of, of all, all churches. So, so here's the second kind of church. It is a church with a prayer ministry. So you've got all of these ministries in the band, and you could name all the ministries you have in your church right around this circle here. And prayer is now one of those ministries. This is a church with a prayer ministry. You do not want to be a church like this. You don't want to have a prayer ministry in your church. That is, you don't want to have a prayer ministry that is one among many other ministries. What you want is to bring prayer to the heart of everything you're doing. 
until you become a house of prayer, until every ministry in your church is somehow connected with your prayer ministry. Prayer is at the heart of every, every ministry. Carnal people will go to the place in your church where there's no prayer taking place or certainly no serious prayer or no transformational prayer, and they'll hide out there. They love to be what they love to they love to be parking lot attendants. They love to count the money during the sermon. They love to hide out in places where no serious prayer, no serious prayer uh, takes place. Here's a church with a prayer ministry and a praying church. In a church with a prayer ministry, you got a small number, and that's all you ever hope to have. There's little training, got a prayer band, a few leaders meet. They're very busy. They can't just come to a prayer meeting. You understand that, don't you? I mean, I mean, they're meeting with other people. You're meeting with God. They just don't have time to do that. And you open your meetings with prayer. Here's a single-dimensional model, a few prayer opportunities. What you want is the goal is to get the whole church praying, regular training, you don't want a prayer band. You want a prayer honor uh, army. You want leaders who model prayer. Who you want to meet? You want to just open meetings. You want to meet just for the purpose of prayer. You don't want a single dimensional model. You want a multi dimensional model. You want multiple prayer. You want multiple prayer opportunities. Almost all of our churches are like this. It's in the back of the King James Bible. Senior pastor, associate staff, business. It's hierarchical. It's top down. This chart looks a hundred ways different, and it's the same at the, uh, at the same time. It's the same. Top down, hierarchical. And not only are we, are we top down and hierarchical, we're also departmental. And so we got a supervising staff, whether they're volunteers or not. You got a senior adult ministry. What do they do? They take trips. You got a, you got a youth ministry. That's a group of kids that come together for all kinds of activities. Maybe they have a choir. Uh, maybe they have something else. You got a ladies thing. They do a tea every year. You got a children's thing. They do a musical every year. You got a singles group. They have a dating and mating club. Then you say, do you, do you have a, do you have a, uh, do you have a, a pastor of prayer? No. Do you have a pastor of evangelism? No. Do you have a pastor of discipleship? No. You got a singles pastor, got a senior adult pastor, got a youth pastor, got a children's pastor, got a ladies ministry leader, got a men's ministry leader. You see, here, here, here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with that. Prayer, evangelism, and discipleship, that is the essence of the church. These represent the things that God called us to do. This is the church's commission. They can't be departments, but not only are they not developed departments, they have no leadership. These, on the other hand, are social categories. So we have organized ourselves on sociological categories and not on missional categories. It's not that we're bad. It's just that that's the way the church has evolved. And we haven't seen that, and we haven't, and we haven't noticed, uh, and we haven't noticed that these are biblically mandated, missional, missional uh, categories. So let me show it to you again in a little different way. Here's the hierarchy. Here's the departmental, senior, youth, so forth and so forth, and and all of these are ministry. All of these are ministry 
to people and we're doing this with little mission through people. Prayer, evangelism, discipleship, mission through people. This makes the church a wonderful social club with a weekly chapel service. But it is not a house of prayer for the nations. That's, that's nasty. That, but that's where we are. And so what, what, what do you, what do you, what do you do with, what do you do with this? Well, let me show you, let me show you this again. Here's the first thing you have. Uh, no prayer ministry, no prayer ministry leader. Here you have prayer ministry beginnings, and here's where we want to get to. This is not, this, this one here is not an option. It's the current condition of 90% plus of our churches, no structure for prayer. This is minimal. Develop a prayer ministry. You got some leaders. You got some support for prayer function, and, and it's beginning to impact the church. But, but where you really want to go, the optimum, is prayer at the heart of everything you do. Seven markers and four and four dimensions. So, so let me let me let me. How do how do we start this process? What you want to move to is a matrix teaming approach, away from this hierarchical approach. The hierarchical approach comes out of the Constantine era. And even the Reformation doesn't challenge, doesn't challenge that. Up here, you had the senior pastor. What do you want to do with him? Well, you want to move him down here. Why? 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 Why do you want to take the senior pastor and take his parking spot away from him? And move him all the way to the bottom. Talk to me more about that. What does that mean? The, the greatest has to become the least. What you've got to do is change the spirit of the church. And that means you've got to model humility. You've got to model servanthood. You've got to wear the towel. You've got to fight over being last. You've got to get the trophy for washing the most feet. And we're going to take the elders kicking and screaming. We're going to move them down here too. Because this is what has to happen. It's, it's not just new prayer praxis. It's ethos. It's the intangible. It's the culture. Now, no, 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 did we get, get rid of youth ministry? No. Still got it. To have men's ministry? Yep. Women's ministry? Yep. Family ministry, yep. Singles ministry, yep. We still got the dating club here. Children's ministry, yep. Got them all. Are we continuing to do ministry to people? Yep. Absolutely. But what have we left off here that we had on the other one? All of these are program elements. All of these are department leaders. What have we left off that we had on the other one? Prayer, evangelism, discipleship. We can't put them here because they can't be departments. They're not the same. They're not sociological categories. So what we've got to do is we've got to come and put them over here because what I want, I want prayer to run through the children's department and the singles department and families and men and women and youth. I want evangelism to run through every department so that everybody, even my children, use the wordless book to know how to share their faith and talk about Jesus Christ. I want discipleship to run through every one of my things. So these are not just social things that we're doing, although the social is uh, uh, important. It's important. 
the cookies and the all that's important. But I don't want, I want to use that as a means of, of not only discipling, but helping them to become disciple makers. Here I'm ministering to people, but here I'm accomplishing mission through people. I've left this structure in place, but I've overlaid another structure. And I'm hoping to mix the wine from these two wine skins. These are program elements. These is spiritual vitality. This is mission and vision leaders. These are department leaders. Do you, you see what I'm talking about here? It'll take you three to five years to begin to move to this structure. Now, here's one of the other things that will happen. These are silos. And so your children's pastor, well, he's the guy that's now your youth pastor because he didn't want to let go of the children. And then he becomes the young adult pastor. And then he doesn't want to let go of the young adults. So he felt so let's start his own church right across town from you and take 300 people from you. Because what you did was you let a silo develop in your church. These are silos. Who is the pastor to the children? Well, the children's pastor. Not you. Who's the pastor to the youth? The youth pastor, not you. You don't have an integrated church. You have a fractured church. It's not that you want to take a thing away from these people, but you want an integrated church. You want a matrix approach where you have teams of people working with children, teams of people working with young people. And that creates health in your youth that you've never had before. One of the most unhealthy places anywhere in the church is a youth group. Because youth pastors have lousy theology, and all they're worried about is fun and exciting things and the numbers. And they, and they need to learn what it means to have a smaller group in the church that is, that is, that is, that is working on, on disciples, that's really going to lay their lives down and with other people. I know I'm being mean. I know. I get it. I understand. Here's your departmental staff, senior. All, all these things are just examples. And all of these things we're going to leave in place and we're going to keep doing ministry, ministry to, uh, uh, uh people. Uh, so, so again, going to leave this construct in place because if we don't, we'll, we'll tear this wine skin. And so we're going to begin to build a new substructure that moves the church towards prayer and mission. And that substructure is here. And so I want to give you three words. I want you to say them after me. I want to create an alternative structure. I say structure to accomplish a different function and transform the Three words, three unspiritual words. Say them with me. What are they? Structure, function, culture. You can't have a culture of prayer and evangelism unless you change the function. Because the function right now is come to church, listen to the praise music and the preaching, and beat the Baptist to Cracker Barrel and make sure you get fried chicken. The culture is passive. The culture is stand up and clap your hands. It's You, you, you need a different culture in your church. That means you need a different function. If you're going to have a, have a different function, you've got to have a different structure, an organic structure. You've got to have, all, right now, all of your structure is to support the programs around your Sunday morning experience. You don't have an organic structure in place to support the function of prayer, evangelism, and discipleship that aims at changing the culture of your church. 
So you, you, you can't take this structure. It's too much to ask them to change. So you've got to build an alternative vision, mission, leadership team, a different, uh, a different structure. And there it is. And that is going to involve, you can guess it, prayer and what? Evangelism and, 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 and discipleship. I want you to be a house of prayer to the end that you fulfill the great commission and preach the gospel and disciple the, and disciple the nations. So I, what I want again, here again, I'm just kind of, kind of, this is kind of complex. I get it. Uh, what I want is I'm first of all going to begin to do discipleship here with these people, just with these people. I'm going to begin to train these people. And then we're going to begin to push prayer through all these, uh, all of these, uh, departments, evangelism through all these departments, discipleship. Now we're not just doing ministry to people. We're accomplishing mission, mission through people. Every church needs a prayer leadership learning team structure to help move the church towards the function of transformational missional prayer that changes the culture of the church itself. You don't start with the intercessory team, you start with the prayer team. You don't start with the prayer leadership team, you start with the prayer, with the prayer learning team. Uh, 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 all right. Here is the typical church. Uh, no compelling shared vision, lack of clear congregational mission, confusion in direction, Everybody fighting over the fellowship hall the first week of May uh, or whatever else, you know, and, uh, and, and so forth. Here's what you want. Here's what you want. Uh, kingdom math, noble efforts plus disunity minus a common vision equals a competitive, uh, model that produces ineffective, ineffective results. Here's what you want. You want a foundation of prayer, the great commitment, and you want Youth, men's ministry, children, singles, all these are examples, senior adults, family, music, arts, everything to be rising out of a foundation of prayer. Every ministry of your church needs to have two to three, three to five, no more, typically, prayer support team. You need an intercessory support team for children's ministry. You need an intercessory support team for senior adults. You need an intercessory support team for singles. Every one of these. And, and, and this keeps, this keeps your intercessors focused. They are, they're the support team for that. You don't want your youth pastor trying to beat the pastor to have more intercessors praying for him than, than he, because everybody in the church should be praying for the pastor. Here's how you do that. You ask everybody to pray for, for the pastor one day a month on your birthday, whatever that day is, or your anniversary, if you're doing it as a couple. And so when he steps into the pulpit on Sunday, you want to give him the thumbs up to say, I remember to pray for you this week. If you get the entire church on the pastor's prayer team and he sends out a prayer bulletin, even if it's a one-page thing or whatever else, or it's a corner in the bulletin or whatever else, this week you can pray with me for by the, doing this. People don't gripe with people about people that they fall in love with and they start praying for. It brings your church together. It unifies your church. So everybody in the church is on the pastor's prayer team. But you don't want that to become a competitive team through the church. So you say typically every ministry in the church needs three to five intercessors. 
that are signed on to become the intercessory team for this, uh, uh, for this ministry. A foundation of prayer, a great commission, evangelism, discipleship, focus, and here's the ethos, here's the culture, the great commandment. Great, com- great commitment is what? Pray for men everywhere, beginning with kings and those in authority, that we might live peaceful lives. Great commandment is what? Love God and love your neighbor. Great commission is what? Preach the, preach the gospel. It's not the words, truth, the great commission. It's the music. That's the great commandment. That's the harmony. My, how those Christians love one another. Look how they lay their lives down for one another. That's the apostolic church. We're going through the motions. We're mouthing the words. But we've lost the harmony. Even now, most of our music, we're singing in unison. We don't even sing harmony anymore. The old hymns, we sang harmony. That's more than symbolic. That's more than symbolic. Something has happened to us. Our music tells us something has happened to us. You can't fulfill the Great Commission without fulfilling the Great Commandment. And you can't love people because it's not your love improved, it's His love imputed. And that's transforming. That's the love of God shed abroad in my heart. So we start with prayer, and you move through care, and then you end up with sharing the uh, with sharing the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. Find a stopping place here. Uh, here's where we begin. We begin with the church, and if we get the church big enough and healthy enough, and we get extra money, then we do mission. And and then somebody says, "Boy, if that's going to be successful, we ought to pray." And the New Testament is exactly the opposite. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, but the first thing you do, is, see. We, here's what we, we are preoccupied with church. We've lost the kingdom. We've lost the kingdom in the church. We are preoccupied with the church. It's all we can see. We can't even see the kingdom anymore. And, 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 and so, so if you discover the biblical rhythm, go into all the world and preach the gospel. This is a great commission. This is the last thing Jesus says. But first, do what? Go to the upper room. The first thing you do and wait on the, Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, the missionary that God is going to send, He will drive the missional process. So the church, as a gathered people in prayer before God, around the throne of God, this is where we began. And this thrust us into mission. This is what we can't, we have to speak the wonderful works of God in a language that we don't even know. And mission needs a church. It isn't that the church does mission. It's that mission does church. Mission does church. We've got it exactly backwards. So structure dictates function. Function follows form. And currently your structure is designed to drive your Sunday morning events. It's passive. It's listening. It's not evangelism. It's not sharing it's not sharing the gospel. And function helps you sustain culture. A passive, low participatory culture 
one in which people are sung to and preached at and inspired and prayed for. It is not transformational, nor in the truest sense is it worshipful, nor is it, nor is it missional. This is our underlying challenge. This requires an alternative, an alternative wineskin. So in order to sustain a culture of prayer and mission, you must change your function, activities, and events and develop a supporting structure. If you have no prayer structure that intentionally moves the church beyond self-interested praying to transformational mission, missional prayer, and it leaves the current uh, ch- uh, culture unchallenged, you're stuck. You don't get, you don't get where you need, need to, uh, need to go. So seven markers of a praying church, praying home, praying church, um, intercession, prayer evangelism. These two talk to one another. Praying homes, praying church, praying church, praying homes. I get it at church, I take it home. I pray at home, I bring it to church. These two talk to one another. Intercession, prayer evangelism, prayer evangelism, intercession. And in order to support these, you need a leadership team. And in order to help move your church in this direction, you need ongoing teaching and ongoing teaching and training. And eventually what you need is a prayer room or you need a dedicated prayer space in your, uh, in, in, in your, in your church. And again, I'm just struggling here there with my, uh, with my tra- uh, overhead. All right, stop. Question. Those cupcakes really look good. I wish you hadn't talked about that. We're really doing good. Sometimes the result of prayers change everything you're doing. It puts God in charge. It violates the paradigm. It challenges the model that we have. It's transforming. And that's exactly what I'm saying in the apostolic epic, that book. We're likely to go through a season that's a bit messy. And we just have to be committed to that. Because God is wanting to see a church emerge, the likes of which we have not seen. He's wanting to see Jew and Gentile come together and dance in the street and invite the nations to join us. There is a harvest around the world. I just got another email, opened it this morning, yet another billion soul initiative. I'm connected already to two. One's out of South Korea. Another is out of, uh, is out of uh, uh, America here. And, 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 and we're praying for a, get your head around it. A billion soul harvest. A billion people coming to Jesus Christ in the next 10 years or so. That is mind-boggling. If we saw 10% of Americans saved, 30 to 35 million, not counting the 20% that I mentioned last night, it would require as many new churches as we have existing churches. Only 20%, listen, only about 50% of pastors believe in the resurrection. 
an inordinate number of churches are extremely liberal, not committed to Scripture, not committed to the literality of Genesis. Those are the churches, unless they radically change, they're not going to be receptors for a radical a harvest of people that are radically saved. And, and, so, and so we're going to need a ton of churches. We're going to need what are called bridge churches. They're not traditional churches. They're living room churches where Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and Sheikhs and Wiccans can ask questions. It's more like a first century house church where they're not sermons as much as they're homilies. Short bits of, well, that's what this means. That's what this means. That's what this means. They're highly word-centered and discipleship-oriented. And here's what happens. Here's where you know you're in revival. When your kids start having kids, the most likely place of a harvest is a radical wave of first converts who turn around and don't have enough theology and enough objection to be quiet. And they start messing things up at work and everywhere else and tell them you will not believe God is real. There's a, there's a prayer center in Wales. And the man that is running it now is the co-author of Red Moon Rising. If you've not read that book, it's about 10 years old, maybe more. You need to read that book. It's on the coming harvest in the global prayer movement. And he said, I've stopped arguing with people about faith. He said, we get people who drive down our road and say, what is this place? I feel drawn here. The car just turned into here. We get people whose language is just absolutely terrible. And he said, we welcome and we, we say to them, can we have prayer, prayer blessing over you? And this is what our world is hungry for. And then they start arguing. I don't believe in the resurrection. I don't believe there's a devil. I don't believe the Bible's inspired. I don't believe you'd send people to hell. I believe there are many ways. Hey, listen, it's above my pay grade to argue with you about things like that. Uh, I, I don't argue about things like that. Here's a Bible. There's a prayer chapel over there. Why don't you go and argue with God? That's what they tell them. We love you. We're so glad you came. Why don't you go argue with God? People go into that prayer, uh, prayer thing and fall on their face. People go in there and come out and say, why didn't you tell me he's real? Why didn't you tell me about the presence? Why didn't you tell me about the fire? Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? Well, you couldn't tell me. Their mind's blind. I think there's a new kind of evangelism coming to us. The old evangelism is enlightened evangelism that argues people into our truth. The new evangelism is out of the love of God that blesses people and opens them up to the reality of His presence. And His presence disarms them. The very real presence of God disarms people. You can't fight the presence of God. It's trembling at the Word of God. That's what we're talking about. When you meet God and you realize He's real, everything falls away. And you believe. You believe. Questions. Long answer. I saw, I'm sorry. Time for one more, two more questions. What's your takeaway? Questions, takeaway. Yeah. So, so, 
the progressive movement has now come to Pentecostal churches. And we have gay welcoming Pentecostal churches. Um, we have uh, churches where the gifts of the Spirit are just, they've been long gone. Don't want that. I preached in a growing Pentecostal church not too long ago, and the pastor said to me, I'm so glad to have you here. Do not, uh, do not, do not speak in tongues in my church. I was in another church and it was just exploding. It was a young church. And, and the pastor said, pastor said, I want you to share with the people. I don't want you to get emotional. I don't want you to get loud. And when you're finished, I do not want an altar call. We do not do altar calls here. Seeker sensitive based on, based on, you know, the, the seeker sensitive, sensitive movement. There is a wild, crazy Pentecost that scared the daylights out of me when I was a kid. And and to be Pentecostal, you had to be wild and crazy. Duplicy used to say to me, and it was my privilege to know him, he said, you have to learn to be naturally supernatural and supernaturally natural. He said, if you have to shake and shimmy as a Pentecostal, God won't be able to use you outside the church and outside a Pentecostal church. Because people see you as weird and exotic. Now, I don't mean to be offensive with this. You have to learn to be naturally supernatural. You're sitting at Bob Evans or wherever you are. you got a cup of coffee in your hand. And a word of knowledge comes forth. And you share it as natural as you would in a conversation. And the prophecy comes forth. You reach across the table. You take somebody's hand. You just pray a prayer with your eyes open. And the Spirit of God comes. And there are no doves flying around in the room. You have to learn to be supernaturally natural and naturally supernatural. We have to learn to contextualize what we missed in the charismatic renewal is that, is that the Spirit came in an easier, less emotional context than we had been used to. And because it didn't resemble our wineskin, we rejected it. We can't let that happen to us again. We can't miss the next move of God. And it will be different. And I'm convinced that just as there are wonderful Lutheran friends that I have that are still around the altar and they believe in justification by faith, but they rejected the labor sanctification. And just as there are wonderful holiness people still around the labor and they believe in holiness, but they rejected the Pentecostal outpouring. And just as there are people in the courtyard that rejected the modern missionary movement of taking bread off the table and going into the world and sharing it. Every piece of furniture in the tabernacle of David that's being restored has groups around it that have not gone any further. And my fear is that you and I will get stuck at the lampstand playing with fire and Pentecostal gifts, that we will continue to be pneumocentric and church-centered and not Christ-centered. And we won't make the move from the lampstand to the altar of incense. And that's where God is trying to get us to now. He's trying to get us to the altar of incense to get us into the most holy place, to imprint us with His glory, to thrust us out before a watching world for the final harvest. My fear is we'll be so committed to our Pentecostal model and our Pentecostalism and defending that, that we will miss God and not move on with what He's trying to do. So some of us are already defecting 
joining the modernist movement because it appears to draw the millennials and Gen Z that, that have issues about gender and authoritative absolute truth and they're more pluralistic in their approach. And so we're accommodating that. I, I, I just, I can't, I can't, I, I can't, I can't go there. I, I can't, I can't go there. But I, but I do think that what God is wanting to do is take us to a different, a different place than we've been, than we've been before. Father, you got me up early again this morning and I found myself weeping, wanting so much to convey to this conference my passion, my hunger for you, my desire to see a great awakening in this nation, my desire to to, 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 to say how bad I think it is and, and how asleep so many of our churches are. And I don't know how to do that. Only you, perhaps, can do that. Wake us up. Give us wet eyes. Give us a burden for brothers and sisters in our family and men and women that our friends are lost who have not had a life-changing encounter with you. Give us a revival in Oklahoma, the likes of which we have never seen. God, there's already a stirring among Native Americans here. It is incredible to see what's happening. The Native Americans are for the first time ever in the history of America turning to God in record numbers, prophesying and seeing visions and declaring that, that, that white men meant it for evil, that white Europeans meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And they're going to rise up and take the gospel to the nations. We've never seen anything like this. And Oklahoma, boy, that could be right at the heart of a great revival among Native Americans. So God, hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.